You're listening to a sermon from our pastor, Brian Payne. We would love to have you worship God with us this Sunday at 1045 in the morning and at six o'clock in the evening as we make, nurture, and equip disciples of Jesus Christ in Auburn and throughout the world. Well, good evening. If you're turning your Bible to Genesis 23, I hope the promise that our God will go before us means holding up my voice tonight too. It's dry tonight. You pray for me in that. Uh, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> but I wouldn't sing either. Yeah. So well, let's pray. Lord, thank you for the promise that you do go before us. You've promised your presence. And that presence came at a great cost, the infinite cost of Christ's atoning death. And yet he was raised from the grave ascended to your right hand and gave us the Holy Spirit. And now, Lord, we are promised your presence wherever we may go. And Lord, tonight we need your presence as we hear the word preached from Genesis 23. So we ask that you would be with us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This past Monday, January the 22nd, was the third anniversary of my mother's death. We didn't get to say goodbye to her the last three weeks of her life. She was put on a ventilator. And you'll remember back in those days, you had no access to the hospitals when someone had COVID. And then on that three days later, on the January 25th, uh, we, we buried her. And apart from having to officiate the funeral and bury a young seven-year-old boy who was tragically killed at our church in Louisville. Officiating my mother's funeral was one of the most difficult uh, ministry tasks, the most ministry ta- difficult ministry tasks that I've ever had to experience. Brother Al and Miss Kim were there, and I was—I'll be forever grateful uh, for their prayers and their their love and encouragement during that time. But seeing her casket next to that grave site where she was going to be buried was, was painful. It's tough to bear. But you know, burial is a fitting earthly end to a believer's pilgrimage. One who has been buried with Christ into baptism, into death, in order to be raised from the grave to the glory of the Father. Of course, that's symbolized in baptism, and yet it it speaks to something greater, a future resurrection, even as we can walk by the Spirit in Christ in resurrection life before our death. Now, a believer's burial does not mean that we are in denial about the decomposition of the body. That's part of the Edenic curse. We saw this in in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, to dust you will return. But it does mean that decomposition is not the final word for the believer. 
But it's appropriate not only to bury our believing loved ones, it's also appropriate to grieve. Grief is the proper response to death, even for those of us who know that death has been defeated in principle. We see all of that in our passage tonight. Uh, Yes, we mourn, but even mourning is not the final word because there is a resurrection hope. That is communicated all the way through Genesis chapter 23. The reality of death surrounds Genesis 23. It begins with Sarah died, and it ends with Abraham burying his beloved wife. And laced in between those two bookends, seven times we see the wording of death and burial. And so this is an important passage for us to contemplate. The first thing we see in this passage is the death of Sarah, a time of grief, a time of grief. Look with me in verse one. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. It did not matter that she was the matriarch. Did not matter that she was the mother of Israel, if you will, of Isaac. Did not matter that she was married to Abraham. Death is undefeated. She still died. Death is no respecter of persons. Now, of note, and I said Genesis is the the book of first, there are many firsts in this chapter as well. This is the first death and burial recorded in Hebrew history. And it starts with, with Sarah, Abraham's wife. In fact, Sarah is the only woman in the Bible whose death and age at death is recorded. She died at 127 years old. And we can hardly imagine the impact of her death on Abraham, as it says he mourned her. In fact, this is the first account of mourning for the dead in the Bible. So again, this is a book of first Genesis, and this chapter has many firsts in it as well. This couple had wandered, had pilgrimaged for 62 years, and even before that, they had been married for some time. It's likely they were married for over 100 years. And it's interesting, too, that the Bible never tells us to follow the example of Mary, Jesus' mother. But two times in the Bible, we're called to follow the example of Sarah, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. In Isaiah 51, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, look to Abraham your father and Sarah who gave birth to you in pain. Peter in 1 Peter 3 gives this admonition, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart. He's speaking here to 
believing women who are married to unbelieving husbands. The way you win them is by your light. And he says, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. He's telling this woman to submit to her unbelieving husband, but as unto the Lord. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good. My marriage has not reached that point of sanctification. <laughs> Sarah had died in Hebron, the heart of the land of Canaan, the promised land, without receiving any of the promise. In fact, she was the first of the generations who would die without receiving the promise. And yet, in Sarah's death, what we're going to see, Abraham believed the promise. And so at Sarah's side, the echoes of the promise that God continually makes to Abraham throughout the narrative, to your offspring, I will give this land, he hears it reverberating in his ear. And so Sarah's death provides yet another opportunity for Abraham to show his faith in the promise of God. Now he sets out to, to buy this plot in Canaan, showing that he was trusting the Lord, El Shaddai, that he would one day give his descendants this land. All right? And that brings us to the second part of this passage. We've seen uh, the death of Sarah, a time of grief, but now we see a burial site chosen for Sarah, a time of faith. It's time to believe now and to show his faith. Look with me in verse 3. And Abraham rose up before his dead and said to the Hittites, now, who are the Hittites? They were the dominant group in Canaan at this time. Maybe your footnote says they were the sons of Heth. Now, who are the sons of Heth? If you'll remember back in Genesis chapter 10, Heth was the second son of Canaan, Noah's son, okay? So this gives you an idea of, of, of their genealogy. And so he said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of sight. By owning a part, okay, now this is important to this chapter. By owning a part of this land, he was prophesying its ultimate ownership. All right? That's, so that's what we mean by faith here, even as his wife lays there dead. Verse 5, the Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God, or literally mighty prince among us. That's almost like a faint, faint 
uh, prophecy of what will one day be as the seed of Abraham that we know to be the Lord Jesus Christ will hear this confession from every tribe and tongue represented by these, these Canaanites. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. And so he's asked politely about a plot of land to bury Sarah, and now they want um, to give them, give Abraham uh, this plot of land that he might bury Sarah. And so they offer to share one of their own plots, but underneath this, it appears that they desire that Abraham would not gain a permanent foothold in the land. And so to ensure that, they're just going to give him a plot of land, um, which essentially would be Abraham borrowing it instead of owning it. You see, once you are a landholder, um, you, you would have certain rights under the law. And so they don't want him to own it. So they're, they're offering to give it to him. And so in verses 7 to 11, Abraham persists in his quest, not just to receive a gift from them, but to purchase it. Verse 7, Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, if you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat me. Entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns. It is at the end of his field for the full price. Let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in at the city of his gate, know my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that's in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. So not only does Abraham request this particular tomb at Machpelah, that's a, that's a word that we're never going to get away from in Genesis after this, he wants to buy it rather than borrowing it, if you will. Now, why is that again? According to ancient Near Eastern customs, and certainly according to Hittite customs, one who borrowed land owed the Lord of the land both service and fees. That would have essentially done away with Abraham's nomad life. He was a soldier and a pilgrim, but it would also have made him beholden to the Canaanites. He would have become essentially one with the Canaanites, these wicked people uh, that we know as Leviticus describes them. And so he knew that if he accepted uh, the gift from this man, Ephron, he would be under obligation. So he needed to become the rightful owner. There's a whole lot at stake here. And that brings us to the final section, verses 12 to 20, the burial site purchased for Sarah. 
So we've seen it chosen for Sarah, that's a time of faith. We've seen the death of Sarah, it's a time of grief. But finally, we see this burial site purchased a time of hope, of hope. Verse 12, then Abraham bowed down before the people and he said to Ephron, in the hearing of the people of the land, but if you will, hear me, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, my Lord, listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between me and you? Bury your dead. He's trying to talk Abraham out of it. Of course, we don't know how much 400 shekels of silver was worth, but it certainly was worth a whole lot. Let me give you this example. Um, I preached through Jeremiah, or at least a lot of Jeremiah, when I was back in um, at, at Fisherville. And, and Jeremiah, if I remember correctly, he purchased uh, a, a plot of land for like 17 shekels, if I'm not mistaken. And so here, he's asking for 400 shekels. He thinks he's going to talk Abraham out of purchasing it so that they could just give it to him, or he thinks that Abraham is going to... to a haggle with him. But notice what Abraham does. He agrees to the price. Um, that would have been completely shocking to Ephraim. Even if he had accepted Ephraim's offer, um, think about this. And this is important to understand this passage as well. If he had accepted the gift and not purchased it. Once Ephron was dead, and I did not know this until I read ancient Near Eastern history on the Hittite uh, traditions, his children under Hittite law could have demanded the return, okay? Return of that plot of land if any of them ever came into financial trouble. And so Abraham was wanting to make sure that this land was secured. And so he agrees to this unreasonable price, it's clearly an unreasonable price, 400 shekels. And then um, this man, uh, Ephron, is clearly uh, concerned about making uh, money off Abraham if, that, if, if Abraham was going to persist in purchasing the land. And so uh, Abraham, uh, 400 shekels. As, as I said earlier, Jeremiah paid for a field in Israel 1,500 years later with 17 shekels. And so either the price of land has gone down, uh, which that's certainly not Auburn, <laughs> or Ephron is seeking to capitalize on what he sees to be Abraham's vulnerable uh, moment. And Abraham, his response takes him by surprise. Verse 17. Trying to find verse 17. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area 
was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of the city. So this is a public transaction. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. I want you to notice just some details like the trees. They mentioned the trees here. Uh, by mentioning the trees as the boundaries uh, of this land and, and all the details that come with this, um, again, this is something I learned by studying the ancient Near Eastern, Near Eastern uh, perspective here. Um, it was characteristic of Hittite documents um, to, to include all of these various details uh, connected to the real estate sale which means this indicates that this, this chapter is driving home that this was a fully secured contract. But more importantly, I want you to notice this word property in verse 20. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property. You could translate that as possession. It carries the idea of land as an inheritance. Later on, this word will be used in a messianic verse, a messianic chapter, a messianic psalm, Psalm 2, verse 8, where God says to the Messiah, the anointed one, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of your, the earth your possession. It's the same word here as property, akuza, <clears throat> same word. So the akuza here, uh, this word is what God is going to give his anointed one as an inheritance. It will be this land, but it will extend to the ends of the earth. Like we said this morning, his rule, his possession will be from sea to sea. And we are seeing the down payment here, the beginning of this promise being carried out. In other words, this grave was the first piece of Abraham and his seeds promise eternal inheritance. And that's why the importance of this chapter lies in the obtaining of this grave. Think about this. The first book of the Bible, and they, they devoted an entire chapter. Now, Moses didn't write chapters, but we added those chapter divisions later. But from our perspective, he devoted an entire chapter of the first book of the canon, the first book of the, the Torah, to the purchasing of this, this grave. Now, this this grave, this cave at Machpelah becomes an ossuary, a, a depository for the bones of Sarah, but not just Sarah, all the patriarchs, all the patriarchs. And so by insisting, and you're gonna, we're going to see this in just a second, that their bones be buried in Canaan, the patriarchs, though dead, 
still speak to us. Um, John Calvin wrote, while they themselves were silent in death, the sepulcher cried aloud that death formed no obstacle to their entering in possession of it. And so Machpelah, and this is where these patriarchs would be buried and matriarchs, this place becomes a monument to Abraham's faith in the hope of resurrection, to his faith in the gospel. In other words, by faith, Abraham buried Sarah in the cave at Hebron or Hebron. It becomes the first possession of Israel, the first possession that the Hebrews would own in Canaan. And it's a grave plot. It's a, it's a cave where these bones would be buried. <clears throat> so let's go through this. Chapter 25, verse 9. By faith, Isaac buried Abraham with Sarah at Hebron. Right here. In chapter 49, verse 31, by faith, Jacob buried his father, Isaac, at Hebron. In chapter 49, verses 29 and 30, by faith, while in Egypt, Jacob charged his son, Joseph, to bury him in Hebron. That would have been a large task. Wouldn't have been easy. In chapter 50, verses 1 and 2, 12 to 14, by faith, Jacob's sons had him embalmed and took his remains to Hebron for burial. Chapter 50, verses 25 and 26, in the very last lines of Genesis, by the way, Genesis begins in a garden and it ends in a tomb, if you will, which speaks to the hope of Messiah to come. Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, you shall carry up my bones from here. Hebrews picks this up, Hebrews eleven twenty two. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. And we learn from Exodus, verse thir uh, chapter 13, verse 19, that Moses, 430 years later, at the Exodus, took Joseph's bones up out of Egypt, and for 40 years, his mummified remains stayed with the people of God throughout their wilderness wanderings. And then in Joshua 24, verse 32, by faith, when Joshua conquered the land, he buried Joseph's body. In fulfillment of this principle that in this plot of land, the patriarchs and the matriarchs were signaling this is not the end of the story. There is a, there's a hope, a resurrection to come. And I think it is spiritually significant that when the two spies, who were the two spies, Joshua and Caleb, when they went into the land, they said, we can take this land. But do you remember what area of, the, of Canaan they, they saw? Hebron. They saw Hebron. 
It's very possible that they saw the place where the patriarchs and matriarchs had been buried in Hebron. And they said, we can take this land. This is ours. Okay? And so that was the hope that Israel needed to hear. And it was based on their faith. Later, by faith, Caleb, 85 years old, took Hebron. Here his words from Joshua chapter 14, verse 11. He says, I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. And then Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance, for a possession. Did you know that David was also anointed king in Hebron? 2 Samuel 2, verses 3 to 4. And so we see in this chapter, not the best well-known chapter of Genesis, but we see in this chapter from um, this plot of land where where the patriarchs were buried, that the bones of the patriarchs preached the gospel from that cave. Abraham, through this purchase, through the securing of this inheritance at great personal cost, preached to us, death is not the final word. Why? Because, and I think this is greater than Abraham would have understood, a seed of Abraham would come And he would be a greater bridegroom than Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he would secure an even greater inheritance than a cave in Machpelah. He would secure this greater inheritance at a greater cost than 400 shekels. He would secure it by his own humiliation. We saw even this morning being slapped silly by his enemies. And that is even before the real torture began. But this greater bridegroom would come, be made in a low condition, undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God, the cursed death of the cross. He would be buried for a time under the power of death to secure for us an inheritance that far exceeds a piece of property in Hebron. And he would be raised and he would ascend to the Father and he would send us the Holy Spirit who is a down payment on that inheritance. That's what this chapter preaches to us. Death indeed is not the final word. As I led that funeral three years ago, this was the gospel that I preached to myself and I preached to all my family and loved ones there. It is the hope in life and death that our Lord Jesus Christ has conquered the grave. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this passage that preaches the gospel to us.
even in a passage that centers on death, because we see death is not the final word, there's hope of resurrection. And we know greater even than the patriarchs how this resurrection would come to be. It would begin with one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this one man comes resurrection hope as he was raised once for all from the grave, defeating sin, death, and the devil, and granting us a down payment of our glorious inheritance. Indeed, this is what led Peter to say, praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in your great mercy. You have given us new birth into a living hope through, res through Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead and into an inheritance that cannot perish, spoil, or fade, but kept in heaven for us. That is our hope as the people of God. May it nourish our faith tonight. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. As Adam and the musicians come forward. And this is your inheritance. Most of you are believers. And the foretaste that we have by the Holy Spirit is, is we're going to see that it's just a down payment of something that is so much grander. My mother, who I believe was a Christian, is experiencing unspeakable joy. You have lost believing loved ones who are experiencing unspeakable joy. It is our eternal future. That should be your hope tonight. But for those of you who have not trusted in Christ, you don't have that hope. You don't have it. Death won't be the final word for you though either because there's a judgment that awaits after death, but it doesn't have to be. Our greater bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, has secured an inheritance for those who will believe by taking the death for us. Why don't you believe in him tonight? Won't you commit to him tonight? We're going to have our pastors here at the end of the rows to speak to you, pray with you, whatever it is. Won't you respond to that gospel plea tonight as we stand and as we sing? Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.